This is the Edify Podcast for the servant. A person's words and their voice are linked. You know, even if you receive a letter from somebody that you love, maybe it's an email or a text message, you can almost hear their voice as they say it. You know, it's as as, as if the, the very tone of their voice and the inflections, all those things have been heard. In a very similar way, Scripture attributes the Word of God to the voice of God. Uh, Jeremiah forty four twenty three, Daniel 9 and verse 10. Uh, realistically, the two are one and the same. Though, though God has spoken audibly at various times, Matthew 3, uh, Matthew 17, all, all throughout Scripture, He now speaks exclusively in His Word, uh, Hebrews chapter 1, Revelation 22. It's not the actual audible voice of God that is heard. Let's, let's make sure that we put that out there. We know this. Instead, it is, it is merely the written Word. But see, the written Word is God's voice. It's, it's the way that He uh, communicates with us. So just just as the accurate preaching of the Word of God is the Word of God, as we talked about last week, so too the accurate preaching of the Word of God is the voice of God. Let's talk about that, the voice of God in preaching. In this way of a person's words and a person's voice, uh, God's Word, God's voice, in this way God's voice comes through, uh, the, the audible spoken voice of the preacher this is another implication that, that proceeds from the very nature and the authority of Scripture, as we talked about last week. So when I say the preacher, and, and people hear the voice of God in the preacher, don't don't exalt the preacher for a moment. Uh, finish listening to the whole podcast, Jake isn't a loon and a nut. Notice, notice what we pull out in Scripture, as it is the very voice of God. Let's look at it in first in the negative light, as in the idea of rejection. The rejection of the preacher is, is reckoned, uh, as the rejection of God. You notice I didn't say that, that the rejection of the preacher is is the same thing as the rejecting of God. But it's reckoned or, or, or accounted to. It's something similar adds. God reckons the preaching of his word through a human vessel. We know this. Uh, as though it came directly from him. As if he were present to deliver the message himself. And if you want to turn along in Luke chapter 10, Jesus commissions those 70 uh, to go into every city uh, verse 1, in in every place in Galilee, their mission was to proclaim the nearness of the kingdom, verse 9. But Jesus anticipates the rejection of these, of these locals, and so what does he do? He pronounces woes of judgment on them, chapter, thir- uh, chapter 10, 13 through 15. So on the heels of these judgments, he says, the one who listens to you listens to me, and the one who rejects you rejects me. And he who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. So given the contrast between listens and reject, uh, to listen is to obey. Thus the emphasis is not on merely hearing the message, but rather on heeding it. So to, to obey Jesus' message, Jesus's, his, 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 <laughs> to obey Jesus' message through a human vessel is to obey him. Conversely, to reject it is to reject him. If you reject whatever is being preached, you're actually rejecting God. This note of, of rejection is, uh, let me use a big word, accentuated. Um, it, what it does is it, it it's a rejection of him. If you, if you reject him, to reject him is to reject the Father who sent him. Now, somebody might, ob- might object and say, this applies in a very limited sense to the twelve. 
Well, the problem is that this passage is not about the 12, it's about the 70. But even if the 12 were in the view of, of, of um, the objection would not stand. See, what binds together the Father, the Son, and these human messengers in, in total unity is what? It is the message itself. Since the message finds it its ultimate source in God, one's treatment of it is their treatment of Him. So how you treat the Word of God is how you treat God. God's Word and His person are so inseparably, inseparably linked that, that to reject one is to reject the other. You cannot say that you love God and disobey His Word. You cannot say that you love the Word, but you don't love God. It's like saying that you love Christ, but not the church. There's no such animal. The principle established in Luke 10 and verse 16 is built into everyday life. When, when a father gives a message to one son, sends him to deliver it to the other, he expects at least two things. Number one, that the message will be delivered as it is intended. And the second thing is that when it is received, it will be obeyed as if he had delivered it himself. He expects obedience on both fronts. For it to be the message of the Father, heard and received, it has to be both in, delivered as he's intended, and it also has to be received and obeyed. So the temptation for the second son is to disregard the message. You know, oh, well, that's just, that's just older brother, uh, or that's just younger brother, or that's just whatever. Uh, to, to disregard the message on account of the messenger. In the end, though, he's going to be held accountable to the source of the message. The same is true in preaching. The preacher must deliver the message as is as it has been intended, and the hearer must respond as if God had delivered it himself. So to reject the message is to reject both the Father and the Son, because the message originates with him. I wanted to begin with that, because that can kind of help illustrate our point as we continue to go out. So to reject the messenger of God is to reject God himself. Remember what Paul said to the Thessalonian church? He said, when you received our word, you didn't receive it as man taught, but you received it uh, as God taught, and, and, and they were a God-taught church through the messages and through the messengers. So even still today, Piedmont Road, every day that I get up and preach through the pulpit, the pulpit ministry, the pulpit effort, the pulpit work uh, that God would have us to be about here at Piedmont Road, it is God working through it as long as, number one, it's delivered as it was intended in Scripture from God himself, and then number two, it's heard and obeyed. So let's shift the gears to the mouth of the preacher. The mouth of the preacher is reckoned as the mouth of God. Notice this. Notice some things in this. If God reckons the proclamation of his word as though he were present to deliver it himself, then he reckons the very mouth of the preacher as his own. And this is implied in Isaiah 55, um, 10 through 11. And if you're in Isaiah 55, if you'll notice verses 6 and 7, the prophet exhorts the hearer to seek the Lord while he may be found, right? And the promise is that if they do, then God will abundantly pardon them. Now, I like abundantly. That sounds good. But, but, but anticipating man's tendency to doubt God's willingness to forgive the prophet gives two reasons why they can be certain of it. The first is in verse 9. The reader or the hearer can be sure of God's compassion because his ways and thoughts are immeasurably higher than ours. So what, what does he do? In verse 9, God declares, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. That's the idea that's being implied. The unregenitant heart, where Scripture has not been allowed by the person to come in and pierce their heart 
break down the walls and change as the Holy Spirit would operate on them through that written word, the unregenerate heart is so completely out of step with God that he cannot trust his own thoughts. He has to forsake them. Don't trust what you've always trusted. Trust what I'm saying. Isaiah 55 and verse 7, that's the idea. The second reason for this confidence is expressed in verses 10 and 11. That as sure as the rain and the snow water the earth and make it sprout, God's word will powerfully and productively go forth and accomplish uh, spiritual life. Uh, one particular writer says that the parallel between the life agency of rain and the effective word is exact. Each has uh, a heavenly origin and the power of effectiveness and it never fails. So thus is this point. God's word never returns to his to him empty. We know that. It, it always accomplishes the purpose for which it was sent. But notice how his word goes forth. God declares, So my word will my so will my word be which goes forth from, he says, my mouth in verse eleven. Of course, this is what's what's called uh, in in theological circles in uh, three dollar word anthropomorphism, where where God does not have a mouth. We know this. Um, this is the idea of of conceiving of God as as having human characteristics or, or or existing in a human form. This is to help us put an idea. And you know, the Lord's hand is not short. The Lord the Lord's ear is not deaf. Uh, your iniquities have separated you. And so that's that's kind of the idea. This this naturally assumes textual fidelity, okay? But when God's word is faithfully preached, the mouth of the preacher is reckoned as the mouth of God. As such, the message must be heeded. It is as though God himself were present and preaching. So let's also shift the gears. The voice of preacher is reckoned as the voice of God. We've talked about the mouth, but let's talk about the voice itself. If God reckons the mouth of or the voice um, of the preacher, the mouth, uh, and, and it can be said for the voice, this is illustrated in, in, in sections of, of Jeremiah's prophecy. Uh, realistically, chapter 42 of Jeremiah through chapter 43, uh, I think in verse up to verse 7, Jerusalem had just been destroyed by the Babylonians. Most of the people of Judah were taken as exiles to Babylon, uh, including King Zedekiah. But some were permitted to remain in Jerusalem, and King Nebuchadnezzar appointed a man. Um, he, he appointed a man named uh, Gedaliah. Um, let's see, Gedaliah, okay, to to be their governor. And things get complicated when a man named Johanna got word that Ishmael was going to assassinate. Uh, the governor, okay, and so a plot that Ishmael had been put up to by the king of the of the Ammonites, but but when Jehonan relays this to the governor, he does not believe him, and and as a result, the plan comes to fruition, and Ishmael and ten men murder, you know, the governor, but but they do not stop at the governor; they also murder both the Jews and the Babylonian soldiers who were there with them. and so here's a predicament: when Nebuchadnezzar gets word that Ishmael murdered the governor. Uh, and his soldiers, there's there's also, or maybe almost certainly, going to be retribution. We, we can kind of figure that. So the people who remained in Judah were caught between the proverbial rock, and there you go, a hard place. So they approached Jeremiah. What do they do? They inquire of the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, as to what they should do. Now, 
what were their options? Either flee to Egypt uh, to seek refuge in Pharaoh or trust in the Lord. Now, without hesitation, Jeremiah agreed to inquire on their behalf. And the people declared, whether it be pleasant or unpleasant, we will listen to the voice of the Lord our God, so that it may well, that it may go well with us when we listen to the voice of the Lord our God. Jeremiah 42 and verse 6. When the word of the Lord came, Jeremiah proclaimed it to the people. Those in Jerusalem must not fear the king of Babylon, nor flee to Egypt. God would deliver them from Nebuchadnezzar uh, and his hand. But if they disobeyed the prophetic word and, and, and instead were to flee to Egypt, they're going to die. So thus says the Lord. You know? <laughs> the, the, but the people who did not believe Jeremiah, they, they accused him of telling a lie. And what do they do? They even say, in chapter 43 and verse 2, the Lord our God has not sent you to say you are not to enter Egypt to reside there. And the retire and the entire remnant of those who remained in Jerusalem, what did they do? They went to Egypt for they did not obey. Here it is, verse 7 of 43, the voice of the Lord. So it 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 was not the audible voice of the Lord that they heard. Instead, it was the voice of Jeremiah. Here's the Holy Spirit saying the voice that come out of that man's mouth was as God. Okay, it, it went forth as the voice of the Lord. But God's word and his voice are so intertwined that, in effect, they are one and the same. A rejection of the prophetic word through the voice of Jeremiah was, in effect, a rejection of the voice of God. So when God's word is faithfully delivered, fellas... This Sunday, the preacher's voice is reckoned as he is. Now, don't put yourself on a pedestal. This is not about you. This is about God using you. So somebody might object and argue that, that this reality was unique to the role and to the function of the prophets. You know, after all, they received direct revelation from God. But that would elevate God's word through the mouth of the prophets above the written word. And, and yet it is written word that is settled in heaven, that that Psalm one nineteen eighty nine, every bit of God's word, <clears throat> whether it was audible or through an angel or through the pen of the apostles or the first century writers, is the word of God. What is different today is that God's people have no need to question the actual written word of the Lord. And, and as previously identified, it, consi it consists exclusively of the Old and the New Testaments. Uh, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago. The only issue at the present relates to what it means. Okay, But when that meaning is accurately conveyed, God's word is preached and his voice is heard. Listen what listen what Martha, Martin Luther wrote. I, I would agree to some of this. Listen to this. Would to God that we would gradually train our hearts to believe that the preacher's words are God's words. It is not an angel or a hundred thousand angels, but the divine majesty himself that is preaching there. To be sure, I do not hear this with my ears or see it with my eyes. All I hear is the voice of the preacher. And behold, only a man before me. But I view the picture correctly if I add that the voice and words of the preacher are not his own words and doctrine, but those of our Lord and God. It is not a prince, a king, or an archangel whom I hear. It is he who declares that he is able to dispense the water of eternal life. Fellas, as you preach, understanding the voice of God in his word 
should elevate the view of our preaching, not because of us, but because of the God who inspired through his spirit men to write the book that we have in front of us. When God's word is faithfully preached, it is not so much the voice of the preacher that is heard, but rather the voice of God. This, this should also heighten a person's anticipation and preparation for the preaching event. Preaching is an encounter with God. God's voice, God's mouth, God's message. And if, we, and if a person rejects what comes out of the preacher's mouth, it is as though, as long as it is the intended message, if a person rejects it, they're rejecting the voice of God. Do not let anybody despise you. What did Paul tell Titus? Speak these things. Do these things. Let no man despise you. What did he say to Timothy? Let nobody despise your youth. Titus, do not let anybody refuse the things that you are teaching. Why? Because it's Titus? Because it's Timothy? Because they're, they're the, the well-to-do? Because they're the ones who the apostles chosen? They're the ones who are this or they're the ones who are that? No, it had nothing to do with the human vessel. It never has. Sunday, it's not about you. It's about God. And God's speaking through you. How so? That my sermon is the intended message that needs to be heard, which, which implies, Jake, you've got to study. Jake, you've got to do your word studies. You've got to do your exposition. You've got to do those sorts of things. Paint the picture. Unfold the meaning. What did this mean in its context? What does God mean for it now? How does this apply to us today? How will God shape and change my life today? All of that is my part. All of that is your part. It'd be great if we just had the Lord uh, come with that ready recollection that your brethren pray for, but that's not how it works. You know it as well as I do. So let me give you a resource this week. Um, it may be good for you. Uh, Jonathan L. Griffiths, okay, he, he wrote a book called Preaching in the New Testament, An Exegetical and Biblical Theological Study. Pretty good book. Um, pretty, pretty, pretty solid, I think so. So, anyway, Preaching in the New Testament, uh, Jonathan L. Griffiths. Um, I, I love books that help me, that train me. And so I want to pass that one off to y'all. You might find some great stuff in it. You might not. You might think, well, I'll never listen to Jake again. Anyway, the voice of God in preaching is huge. May we express that in a, in a very humble way. Uh, maybe, maybe it would be good that if you... I think it may be good if you probably preach and preach this or maybe if you have a class on uh, preaching itself we are at Piedmont Road in the next quarter uh, Paul is, has slotted some time where I can see it and with all of our guys who preach uh, sit and have a class just on preaching now of course we're the, the main campus for the Georgia School of Preaching there's a there's a host of good men who if I fall over dead they'll just get right up and continue preaching uh, I've never seen a healthier church when it comes to the preaching and teaching of God's Word. I'm blessed and thankful to be here. Uh, but that does not mean we don't need to go back to the basics, re-look re at some things, understand some things when it comes to preaching. Uh, you see some people get up and preach, and they make it all about them. It's a show. It's something of them. It's something of their merit. Uh, or it's something that's seeker-friendly, a preaching that doesn't honor God, or preaching that is something that is designed to uh, to entertain the brethren. Uh, and not so much an expositional work of worship, which is what preaching is to be. So may God bless you this week. 
in your preaching and in your teaching and, and help the brethren understand that when you preach, it is not you. When you speak, it is not you. Your mouth is not your mouth. Your voice is not your voice. As long as you're preaching the Word of God, it is as though God himself is preaching and teaching your local congregation. Don't you want that to be said, that the congregation where you labor is a healthy church? If it is, it's only because God taught and worked and wrought his good will through his Spirit's revelation in your life and as you gave it to the brethren. May God bless you.